0: We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of This Week at VA. This is episode 50. It's hard to believe that it's been 50 episodes. We've had so many great veterans come on and share their stories. I'm truly grateful for that. We're going to kick off this week's episode by recognizing Rory Cooper. You may remember Rory from episode 45, where Rory talked to us about his amazing work and research that has engineered dozens of different wheelchairs and other assistance living devices to help better the lives of our veterans. Well, Rory was up for a 2017 Samuel J. Heyman Service to America medal, uh, which is considered to be one of the highest recognitions offered to public servants. Rory was nominated in the Science and Environment category, and he won. We are very excited for him, and we actually got an opportunity to catch up with him at the ceremony and his thoughts on receiving this award and his continued service to veterans.
2: Uh, It means a lot to receive the the Sammy's Award. Um, I've been helped by so many veterans over the years and by the VA and to see the VA work recognized is tremendous, but I also hope it's a, a platform to get people to understand uh, uh, the needs of veterans and the technology needs, what technology can do, and hopefully to uh, motivate veterans to, uh, to achieve everything that they can, maximize their, maximize their abilities um, and contrib- continue to serve and contribute to society. Uh, that's why I'm in the VA, right? Uh, we we want to see veterans benefit from what we do. We work with veterans uh, closely every day. A lot of our team are veterans themselves, um, from the Vietnam era to the current era. And uh, the other thing is the veterans are very engaged in what we do. Through our Voice of the Consumer surveys to seeing me and competing with me at the veterans' wheelchair games or doing research at the Winter Sports Clinic. Um, you know that's, that's, we live and breathe veterans and that's why we're there. And um, it, you know, that's the most gratifying thing. Like this summer, you know, we were uh, able to bring with a, one of the devices we helped create, that's a, a wheelchair and a bed that work together uh, to market and um, we took it to our Heinz VA in Pittsburgh, which is a long-term care facility. And uh, one of the veteran's spouses, she saw it in the hospital and. She came and talked to us and tried it out, brought her physician and said, uh, I'd like to get one of these for my husband. I want to take him home. And he had been in long-term care for two years and two months later, we were able to get him home. Uh, Where else would you serve? If you can't serve in the Army, where else can you serve veterans better than the VA?
1: So this week's feature interview is going to work a little different than usual. I invited my colleague, Melissa Heinz to step in and interview me as the guest I wanted to do something fun and unique for episode 50, so I decided to flip the microphone around and let you all learn a little bit more about me as a host and as a Marine Corps veteran. I hope you enjoy.
0: So this week, it's the 50th episode of This Week at VA podcast. Yes. And usually Tim is in the interviewing chair, but we decided to switch it up this time. And instead, um, I'm his colleague. My name is Melissa Heinz, and I'm going to be interviewing Tim. I'm so. glad
1: I'm glad uh, I'm glad you just uh, agreed to do this <laughs> I um, you know I thought um, in a couple of shows in the past I've I've done this where I have flipped it uh, an audience always always seems to like it and more so, I like it. Like when I podcast, I want to. I like. I do stuff that I like. Like when I mm-hmm. hear something, someone, something happen on a podcast that I like, I'll try to emulate it. If I wish a podcast would do something, I try to see how I can fit it in. Um, and one thing I always tell like my my podcasters that I enjoy listening to, I'm like put put more of yourself out there, like, you know, like, I, I want to hear more from you, and um, I've definitely had some people mention that uh, from this podcast, and uh, you know, I want to do something fun and unique for, uh, for episode 50, so uh, here we are.
0: And you've had a chance to interview many different veterans um, yes. from the veteran community, so, but now, you're a veteran yourself. I am. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your time in the military.
1: Okay. okay. Um, so, it all started uh, when I was in, I was living in Linden, Washington, which is probably about two hours north of Seattle. Uh, I had no, nothing really going on in my life. I had a job at a local greenhouse that I got through my mom's church friend. Uh, it was a family-owned business, so I knew that there really wasn't, a, really wasn't anywhere for me to go, right? And all management and all that sort of stuff was sort of a family thing. Um, and I needed a career, and I ended up taking a day drive with a friend of mine from high school, and he had just gotten back from Iraq, and so he was telling me about you know his war stories and stuff like that. Uh, and if like any young twenty-year-old, I was motivated, right? And twenty, it seems like goes so late of me to join. Right? Two, you know, two years behind a lot of right. people, but um, I was, I was, I. I was one of those recruits that made the, or one of those uh, poolies or the, you know, whatever you want to call them that made the recruiter's job easy. Uh, I walked in I'll, and he started selling me on it. I was like, no, 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 I want to join. We'll <laughs> start working on that. <laughs> right. Like, you don't need to sell this to me. I'm not talking any other branch. Um, and was
0: your friend a Marine?
1: Yes, yeah. So my friend was uh, was a Marine. He was in the Marine Corps Reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, he joined right out of high school. He was one, uh, one of my better friends in high school. Um, and so. What year was this? Um, so I graduated in 2003. So this must have been 2000 and 2005 is when this, the thought process started. I think, yeah, May 2006 is mm-hmm. when I uh, officially joined. I, I spent my 21st birthday in boot camp. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: So no wild and crazy partying, <laughs> no. like a normal 21 year old. No wild and crazy party.
1: No mention of it whatsoever, because uh, anybody who's been uh, in Marine Corps boot camp knows that your birthday will be a horrible day uh, if you let the wrong person find out. So um, I didn't mention it to anybody.
0: Right. Yeah. And so after you finished boot camp, yep. um, what what types of jobs did you have while you were in the Marine
1: Corps? So I enlisted as a 6672 Aviation Supply Specialist, which is a fun way of saying that I ordered airplane parts. Um, but my last week of boot camp, I remember hearing my drill instructor say uh, the, the MSG program is the best kept secret in the Marine Corps. And that stuck with me when, as, as I was going through the pipeline of training.
0: And MSG is Marine Security Guard. That's right, yeah, mm-hmm. Marine
1: Security Guard. And so when I was at my MOS school to learn how to order airplane parts, uh, I was on the MSG website, learning about it, and like there was the poster in the classroom with the Marine in his in his deltas, you know the the Delta Blues, and um, they had every country that uh that was a marine was at listed you know Mm. and i'm looking at countries like brazil and france and australia and i'm like that's what i want to do yeah uh and so by before i even hit the fleet i knew i wanted to be a marine security guard um and so that's ultimately what i ended up working up to i got shipped off to um mcs new river which is in uh camp or uh, near camp lejeune in uh, jacksonville north carolina jacksonville is not a great place when you're a young single marine right. uh, and so i was just waiting for my opportunity to get out of there um waiting I, for
0: your opportunity to travel the world
1: that's right <laughs> yeah exactly and uh, i was <clears throat> um they were sending so i i primarily worked with the v22 osprey when i say worked i mean like i ordered their their parts right mm-hmm. um and they were the, they were sending 2000 and. Eight, they were sending Ospreys to uh, to combat for the first time, and so I volunteered to go on that deployment. Um, but they decided to—I was in Mouse Twenty Six. They decided to take Marines only for Mouse Twenty Nine, so I, I didn't—I was not selected. Um, and as soon as that decision was made, I put a, i started putting in my MSG package.
0: And so, where did you go while you were a Marine Security Guard? What countries? What embassies?
1: Yeah. Uh, Algiers, Algeria, was my first post. Um, a fun story: um, when you, when we graduated at the schoolhouse, they were, uh, they brought everybody into the classroom and. Uh, to, to let us know where we were going for our first post, and they like they made it this big show, right? You'd stand up, you would say where you were hoping to go, and then they would give you the harsh reality of where you're actually going. <laughs> you're and, going to Africa. <laughs> yeah, and that's usually what happened. Yeah, for, and that's what happened for me. Right. Um, you know, I stood up and I said, I I, I want to go anywhere but Canada, right? I, didn't, right? I didn't join this program to go north of the border, um, and. And he laughed, he was like, great, because you're going to Algiers. And I remember in my head thinking, where the heck is Algiers? Uh, I was that ignorant uh, uh, young man who, my geography was so bad, I didn't I didn't even heard of this country before, right? Um, well, Algiers being the city, of course. And, and so as soon as we were done, I sprinted for the map to find Algeria, uh, and then saw that it was in North Africa, and I was like, all right, this is how my tour is starting. Uh, from there I went on to Moscow Russia and then I spent my last year in, in Lima Peru
0: and what was your favorite post Moscow Moscow
1: yeah I mean I was um, it was an experience like no other it's surreal standing in in Red square you're seeing so much history around you uh, Russia is just a different place um, you know like culture wise and um, yeah it was and I met, I had some of the more closest friends there in Russia, my time in, in Moscow has influenced my current life the most, so mm-hmm. I, it's, I'm probably biased a little bit in that way too.
0: So throughout all of the countries that you travel to, is there something that stands out to you that sums up your time in the Marine Corps? Um, I mean, because not a lot of Marines have the same type of career that you have in true. the Marine Corps.
1: It's true, it's true. Um, yeah, MSG duty is very different from a lot of different parts of, of, the, of the Marine Corps. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of marines get to deploy. A lot of marines get to go to different places that we don't expect marines to be. But uh, the MSG program is the only one that's putting a marine in just about every country in um, in the in the in the world. Um, story from those travels. Uh, you know, it's funny. I asked this question. People are probably rolling their eyes. Like you ask this question all the time. Right. Like it was. Uh, and I was thinking today, what is a good story um, from my time overseas? I think. Uh, I don't know if this will be entertaining or not, but it's one that I find funny. Um, you know, we were hanging out the, at the Marine House in in, um, in Moscow and our, the Marine House was on the same compound as the embassy. And um, we got, the, res- we got the, the call to respond to the embassy and so, uh, you know, we're not, we don't know, we don't know what's going on yet, we just get the call to respond, we're getting ready, and then we find out the power is out at the embassy. And so we run over there, and we take, on, take our, uh, our positions, uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm probably on like the, I don't know, the fifth or sixth, seventh floor, something, the middle way up the building, and I look across the street, and there's still power across the street, and the Russians were just messing with oh us. Oh, my God. Uh, pr- presumably. Right. That, that, that's not an official statement. I can't say that that's what was happening, but that's the first thought that came to mind was, oh, just the embassy, just our block has lost power, uh the buildings around every building that i could see at that point all, still had power um and that you know it was one it was one of those things that was like that sort of made me realize like it was just it was a very like that wouldn't happen other places like algiers was a is a physical threat that we didn't really ever have to face because the algerian government was really good about hel- helping uh, buffer that peru there was no threats whatsoever other than like natural disaster or you know like a fire you know and so Moscow is where every day my job mattered, and every day, like, I was doing something to protect uh, the embassy, the the people, the information, access, all that sort of stuff. And, um, like, you know, I, I could definitely fuel um, my contribution every day and that experience of just sitting there and realize like, man, I, like uh, this is so Russia, you know, like that, you know, the Russians messing with the Americans, you know, and there's more stories uh, like that that um, I'll, I'll save for another day.
0: You know, you served your time in the Marine Security Guard and there, was there a time after that that you decided, you know, you were ready to move on to something else?
1: Yeah, so um, I imagine it's still true now, but like when I was in, um, the MSG program had the worst attrition rate, or the highest attrition rate um, in, the, in the Marine Corps because, uh, you know, Marines go, get, they get a, some really amazing, different experience, uh, professional experience overseas. Um, and it's difficult to want to go back, right? It's only a three-year tour, you can't extend, you're not, mm. you can, I was offered an extension for one more year, but I didn't take it, uh, but it's not like, you don't, it doesn't become your job. You
0: can't spend your whole career exactly.
1: as MSG. Exactly. Um, you know, you can come back as a deck commander or something like that, but you still have to go back to the fleet. I don't want to go back to ordering airplane parts, like, you know, I, I had letters of recommendation from ambassadors ready to go, like, I knew that I was ready for success. Um, at least I thought so, (laughs) uh, I'm going to clarify, I thought I was ready, uh, and set up, um, and so I knew it was, I knew I wanted to get out, and, um, you know, MSG program, like any part of the military, it had its ups and its pros and its cons, and its, its cons had worn me down enough that I didn't really want to stick around in the military anymore anyway, so, uh, yeah, that, that prompted my decision Uh, To get out I had 10 days to because I'm in I'm in another country I'm Mm -hmm. not at a military base to start processing out right and so it was so I got I think I got back to Quantico with maybe like Seven days to like get through everything so like I didn't actually get full dental I didn't get because like I would get I would go to like check out and like well you need you need like another Uh, I remember I got uh, I got my teeth clean and he was like you need some you need some work done and I was like, okay, and we scheduled it from like the, the morning before I was supposed to leave, and the, it got canceled. And so I, just, I, I separated without get, finishing my dental, you know. And uh, I'm sure I could have finished it somewhere else, but um, it was, you know, that was how short of a time I had. Um, but yeah, I processed down and ended up on a uh, plane back to the West Coast and uh, started civilian life.
0: That's a pretty quick transition yeah. from, you know, going serving in the military to getting out so quickly like yeah. did you even have any time to process like what was happening
1: yeah well so i mean i i had already started uh one thing that was good the the um the first sergeant that was in charge of our region down in in um in peru or in south america was really good it was really proactive if if he, you know they knew if msgs wanted to get off the program and get out of the marine corps they were going to um and so we had a long conversation about what to do afterwards and stuff like that so i felt mentally prepared. I knew what I was trying to do, go back to school, get a job, stuff like that. Um, the execution wasn't perfect, but I, was, I think I was ready.
0: So did you find any challenges after you separated, transitioning back into civilian life? You became a student?
1: Yeah, so um, be, I was a perpetual student for a while in that uh, I was taking online courses when I was in the military, and then when I got out, I started doing online courses with Penn State. Um, and, then, and then I finally moved to D.C. and I transferred to American University. American University took a fraction of my credits from the online courses, so I was pretty much starting all over after I had started, started college already. Um, so that was, that was a difficult, it, it was a long process to finally feel like I was like, really getting somewhere on my degree um, I spent a year in California before moving out to D.C. Um, you know, and we, we talk about veterans uh, facing emotional crisis when they get out, and mine was kind of prolonged. Like, I, I look back and I noticed that I was disturbed a little bit in that first year, but it wasn't until year two that I started recognizing, mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I'm in a bad space. Like, I'm not dealing with this transition well. Um, you know, my relationship changes and school changes, geography changes, you know, the year two came with a lot of change um, and that's when, you know, D.C. is not, <laughs> not a cheap city to live in either, right? So I'm trying to do all of this on a GI Bill budget, which uh, the GI Bill provides a lot of benefits, but, uh, you know, your housing allowance only goes so far in a city that um, this, this expensive. So, um, you know, financial, uh, I had financial challenges. So, you know, looking back, that first year was just sort of, I just sort of existed. I got through life. I was enjoying it. Second years when those challenges came, they, they came hard.
0: And what was it that helped bring you back to find a purpose in what you were doing? And and what what were you studying? And and what were some of the projects that you worked on while you were yeah. at American University?
1: Yeah. So I was <clears throat> um, broadcast journalism student, um, <clears throat> which is which was a decision I made at after I, had, I was recording a podcast, and I was like I, I was originally pursuing psychology. I recorded a po- I was podcasting, and I was like, man, I. I shouldn't be doing psychology, I'm not really not interested in it. And then I was like, oh, snap, I should be doing this. And so I looked uh, and talked to a counselor, broadcast journalism is what we came up with. Um, and yeah, I was so, I was that veteran that felt like I was wasting my time at school, especially in the first year and a half when I was doing like electives and uh, they're forcing me to take chemistry and stuff like that. And you know, I was, I mean, you can ask my wife, I was just, I was an unpleasant human being to be around during those years, because I was so disgruntled about wasting my time with this stuff that I, you know, it was interesting, but I knew that it really wasn't going to contribute to my career. Um, and so to pass the past time, I started, you know, yeah, sirens and such. Yeah. probably not so bad. You think? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, to pass the time to continue to be productive, to build my resume, to to build value in, in my life because I didn't think that school was doing it for me, uh, I started becoming a serial podcaster and uh, I was doing Veteran Empire at the time, uh, Tim and Brain is bromantic comedy with one of my friends. I launched the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Project, um, which is probably, uh, you know, what a lot of the veteran space knows me for the most. And I like, Tim and Tim and Derek do what they want. Mighty Mighty Marson House, Fuelful Warriors, like all these all these podcast serial mm-hmm. podcaster.
0: That's when podcast Tim was born.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, Two thousand and twelve was when I did my first podcast. Uh, I called a couple good ideas that I did with uh, a friend of mine, um, and from then I think I've conceptualized, started, and stopped at least a dozen podcasts, um, and that's what I did to you know to build reputation. You know, like, I knew. I didn't. I knew that I was going to graduate on the other side of thirty, and I didn't want school to really only be the only thing that's that was taking my time there. I didn't want a part-time job either because I didn't think that a part-time job was going to really contribute to a future career either. Um, I didn't know how to work the internship game. Um, you know, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I didn't really learn about the values of internships until I got to DC even though I knew tons of them when I was overseas. I didn't really understand how they worked or what their value was until I got here and so I didn't know how to work that game yet Um, and so I just initiated a bunch of different projects and what stick or what was able to stick I uh, kept up with. What wasn't I just discarded and um, it's turned into quite the the interesting living resume. And
0: so the result of all of the work that you've done in, with your podcast eventually led to where you are today, and that's working here at the Department of Veterans Affairs.
1: Yes, uh, yeah, I was really fortunate that um, you know this opening was uh, the, the job that I have now was uh, was opening as I was getting close to graduation, and um, you know our director uh, was impressed with that living resume uh, that I saw and. Uh, VA as a whole uh, decided that they were going to take a chance on Tim Lawson, and uh, here I am today. And, you know, I tell people this all the time when they ask me what I'm doing, especially people that haven't seen me for a little while, and tell them that I'm, I am do digital media for, for Veterans Affairs, and a lot of them are like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I and I describe to people as the perfect interse- perfect intersection of what I'm good at doing and what I like doing, um, which is something that very few people can say about their career you know even people that like their jobs maybe it's not what they feel like they're best at or you know even if they're at a job where they're doing that they're do well at it maybe they don't enjoy it as much you know um but like i mean man if you pulled up a graph and line those two things up it's almost the perfect intersection i'm really grateful
0: so what are some of the things that you've done while you've been here at VA that stick out in your mind or, you know, whether it be an event that you were able to attend or cover or an interview that you were able to have on your podcast?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think, so you and I have both, uh, we split interviews on secretaries uh, on this podcast. And I think it's cool that um, in the first, and it just worked out with the administration change, but in the first, I think, 20 episodes, we ended up having two VA secretaries on the podcast, right? right? So. Um, that was cool. Um, Bill Rausch was a great interview. Um, you know, he just stands out because he's a, he, be, he became a fan favorite. He's the one that people always uh, comment on. Um, you know, we're working on an interview with Sebastian Younger, which um, will be the first non-vet other than Secretary Shulkin uh, to be on the podcast. And I think he provides a lot of insights to the veterans space, so I think there's a lot of value there. Um, the, the podcast itself has been a really interesting journey um i think that the work that you and i did when we were in pearl harbor definitely stands definitely. out um we got what six seven eight different interviews with different people in the span of a week um yeah most of them pearl harbor survivors and I mean, that was
0: the 75th anniversary so they had a week of events yeah and we were jumping from one event to another yeah
1: uh so that was really i mean sp- talking to pearl harbor survivors will humble the crap out of anybody not only because it's like oh man you've gone through so much but they talk about it so nonchalantly it's like I can't.
0: This is what I did that day. Yeah,
1: you are like, ah, oh, I missed breakfast <laughs> that right, day, right? right? You know, like Uncle Al talking about him, how he missed yes. br- missed <laughs> breakfast that day. Um, so and
0: Uncle Al was one on one of the first versions of the uh, episodes of the podcast, yes. right?
1: Yep. So um, yep, for one of the when we were in Hawaii. Um, We'd, he his interview I thought went really well and uh, I was I needed a podcast interview. I was like, well, I'm just going to use this one because uh, it was entertaining. Uh, it was super insightful with him talking about that day and moving on in his career and stuff like that. So, um, if you're listening and you haven't listened to, uh, what was it? Al- Alfred Rodriguez is the the name on right. it. Right. Yeah.
0: Is there anything else that you want me to talk about before I kind of transition? Like we talked about the podcast. We talked about yeah. your time as a student. Like.
1: I think, um, you know, I think one thing that, uh, you know, I was really, I was a VA critic before I came here, right? Like I was, I was that student that was on the GI Bill call hotline for half an hour, you know, wanting to throw my phone because, uh, you know, I've been on, on hold for so long and then my call drops, you know, and, um, you know, I think one big mis- misconception that's made is that Um, that we all think that VA is, you know, is great or that we don't understand the the compli... I came in here having plenty of criticisms about VA, and that's part of the reason why I wanted the job, um, was to contribute in however I could to the transformation of VA, to the perception of VA, um, to make sure that VA... Recognize its shortcomings while also getting recognition for where it was doing well, and I think that's one thing I've really enjoyed about working in public affairs, especially on the digital media engagement team. Is we get to tell the fun, we get tell the good stories, and we also get to have the you know, we've talked to veterans that are like, yeah, now the VA you know has done this you know th- this to me, and this being you know an unfortunate event, and you know we've gotten to help a lot of veterans better understand their their benefits and. Um, you know, so that's that's been a really um uh, it's been a really interesting um endeavor in in working at at VA and I really uh appreciate the opportunity to to represent VA in that way.
0: Is there a certain skill set that you learned while you were in the military that you think translates over to you, the work that you do today and like talking you talk <coughs> to so many veterans, you yeah. have to be able to relate to them at some point, right?
1: Yeah, so that's actually what I got from the military was uh, you know, this this is uh, I'm glad you asked me this question because it's one of my favorite from the podcast. Uh, it's, I learned how to interact with veterans because of the commonality that we have, the common experience we had in the military, right? And, you know, a lot of, you know, it's really easy to say, like, oh, I'm more disciplined, I'm on time, I have leadership, and yeah, all that stuff's great. But one of the reasons why my, my, one, the, my, one of my first podcasts that did really well was Veteran Empire. And the reason why that did so well is I was, contacting veteran after veteran after veteran and it didn't matter if they were uh someone that no one had heard of that you know that a friend recommended or if they were tim kennedy or someone that was on tv and you know stuff like that Uh, i came to them as a veteran wanting to talk about that common experience and wanted to share it with our community and that always got a yes um, the few times where I got a no, it was because they just couldn't handle it, couldn't handle it on the calendar, or um, you know, and it, who knows, they could have been blowing smoke. But uh, it was always like some. Re- it was like I never got ignored, or I, I rarely got ignored, um, and there was always some reasonable. And when I say always, like the three times that someone said no was like a reasonable, like okay, like that makes sense on why that's not going to happen. But um, yeah, just learning how to talk to veterans and, and building that connection um, is what I've gotten from my military experience.
0: And with all of the veterans that you talked to, talked to um, you know and have met over the course of your you know career, um, is there anybody that you're excited about right now what excites you about the veteran community?
1: Um, so it's it's fun I, I, lo- I love asking this question too and it's so unfair because every time I ask it I know, I think to myself, if I had to answer this, you knew the I answer? would. I wouldn't know how to answer. it. Ah. I'd be like, man, how do you even choose? You right. know. Um, I think what I think Student Veterans of America as an organization is doing amazing things. Um, the way they've really, you know, being a st- student veteran on campus is a huge challenge, and uh, just in a short, short few years that I've gotten to know them and, and seen their work, um, they've they've helped make. Being a veteran on campus, a more pleasant experience, a more productive experience, and, you know, one that veteran, ex- getting veterans excited about being a part of their campus community versus uh, being like I was my first year of college when I would show up, go to class, and just leave right away and not even say a word to anybody the whole time. Um, specific veterans. um Max Uriarte, um, the creator of Terminal Lance, uh, you know, what he does is really cool. You know, he wrote, he wrote the graphic novel White Donkey, which uh, which did really well. Him and Paul Zoldra finally started a podcast called After Action, I think, and, um, you know, those those two personalities do well on, uh, on a podcast. It's really cool to see how uh, how well he contributes to the veteran space, talks to the veteran space, but still... Uh, is his own veteran, right? He's. You he can tell he's still. He's, he's still his own. He's. He's himself, and he doesn't let. Um, you know his popularity influence that. At least it doesn't seem like that. Uh, and then of course, Team Rubicon is uh, one of my favorite organizations ever. Um, not. Not just because you know the the work they do is great, but the the uh, the platform, the opportunity that they've given veterans to find a renewed purpose and to start serving their community again. I think is. Uh, is huge, and you know, on that on that note, uh, like Team RWB, mission continues. Given hour, you know, all that stuff is uh, all those um, organizations are growing that way too. But um, there's so much. There's so much.
0: <laughs> Veterans are contributing back to society, you know, after yeah. they've left the military, and I think that's something that defines yeah. their service.
1: Kirsty, Kirsty, or Christy, man, Kirsty, Kirsty, Kirsty Ennis, um, who's uh, an amputee. She was on ESPN's Body Issue, right. uh, Rock Climbing. She's trying to climb all, all seven summits, um, which is, I mean, like. just cool all on its own, you know? <laughs> yeah. I and mean, then you consider the, the, the unique challenges that she has. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I could go on and, and on and on. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: So why don't we end on this? Okay. You know, you've had a chance to interview so many Veterans on your podcast, but yes. is there something that you you'd like to tell to your viewers?
1: Yeah, um, these conversations are real, and what I mean by that is, I, some of I guess you could I guess you could presume that some of the organization leaders do come with a little bit of a filter because they have their own constituents that they need to consider, um, but even. You know, I'm trying to think of the, who those are. You know, it's the VA secretaries aside. Um, you know, Joe Shinelli, Bill Roush, uh, Jared Lyon, um, Dee McWilliams, who uh, was president, or I think she still is president of the the Women's Memorial. You know, these people that are that lead, uh, that are leaders of their organization still came on the podcast and told a very real story. Joe Shinelli talked about, uh, you know, his his mother's uh, uh, his mother dying by suicide uh, bill roush talked about how uh, you know how his bronze star uh, is both a, a symbol of pride and struggle like he does you know sometimes he feels like he like he didn't do enough even though he was recognized in that way um, you know jared lyon talking about being a ve- being a student veteran and, and going through that growth and really empathizing uh, with that d mcwilliams talking about being across the street when the plane hit the Pentagon on 9-11, you know? Like, th- these stories are so real, and I think a lot of, I think the, um, I'm sure there's people that may think because we're a department-level organization that there's, you know, bureaucracy involved in this, and there's not, you know, veterans come on the show, we talk about real-life experiences in the military, after the military, and elsewhere, and um, none of it's filtered, you know? I. Uh, the only thing I've ever edited out of an interview is myself rambling, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, uh, like if there's like technology, you know, uh, technical issues that, uh, that have to come out, but uh, content never gets removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's definitely something I want the audience to know is, is uh, you know, what these veterans are sharing is, uh, is real.
0: I do realize that I called your podcast listeners, viewers. <laughs> And that's what happens when you work, you know, in, in video production and all yeah, of that. Yeah. But um, I thank you, Tim, for allowing me to interview you on your podcast. And I think we did a pretty good job of not going off topic and topic, talking about <laughs> Game of Thrones. Because that's what we do all the time.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dream of Lancer is going to get it all. Yeah. No, nah, I'm kidding. Um, but no, th- <laughs> Melissa, thank you for agreeing to do this. It's, uh, it's always fun to be on this side of the microphone. Definitely. And so uh, it's, I'm, I'm glad I got the opportunity to do it for my listenership here. All
0: right, thanks, Tim.
1: Thank you. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Earlier this week, I published a blog on Vantage Point about how I'm pursuing therapy while I'm in a good place in my life. I want to suggest a great resource for counseling and mentorship that VA offers to veterans, and that is the Vet Center program. Vet Centers are generally smaller venues that offer counseling, therapy groups, mentorship, and other mental and emotional health benefits to combat veterans, MST survivors, and others. They're often also mobile units. You'll see them deploy in areas of crisis. Uh, To find a Vet Center near you or to see if you qualify, visit vetcenter.va.gov. Today's Veteran of the Day is Navy Veteran John O. Adams. John served during World War II from 1940 to 1946. John was stationed in Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, he was deployed to the Pacific Theater and fought in the Solomon Islands during the Battle of Guadalcanal. After being honorably discharged, John attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and received a degree in engineering. While he was a student at MIT, John was a record breaking hammer thrower and was only three quarters of an inch away from competing in the Olympics. John passed away on January 31st, 2010. We honor his service. To nominate your own veteran of the day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 50. We're so excited to hit this milestone and look forward to giving you 50 more episodes of great interviews and stories from these veterans. Be sure to visit our Vantage Point blog at blogs.va.gov to read more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.